This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Wednesday afternoon, January 18th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour. I'm Rob Hart. A lack of credit history can bring serious financial complications. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, it's a busy day of data involving retail sales, wholesale prices, and the home building market. Let's break it all down with the help of Bob Brusca, Chief Economist, Fact and Opinion Economics, based in New York. Bob, thanks for joining us today. I referred to uh, the the consumer spending, the retail sales, and wholesale prices as a good news, bad news kind of day. The good news is wholesale prices fell uh, f- lower than uh, than analyst estimates, but uh, consumer spending cooled off in the month of December. Of those two data points, what's the one to focus on? Oh, yeah, the weakness in spending is the real problem because the decline in the PPI was substantially because of energy prices. And the energy prices are going to be turning around here. We've had a very mild winter. Uh, we've got China uh, stoking its economy back up. And so to the extent that we've made inflation progress uh, because oil prices have come down, we should be wary about that. In fact, if you look at the core uh, CPI, you'll notice that excluding food and energy, uh, it started to get sticky around a 6% growth rate. So um, I'd be wary of the inflation news right now, especially because of the energy component. On the other hand, uh, we had that very weak Empire State report yesterday on manufacturing. And now we've got uh, the second decline in retail sales in a row, month to month. Uh, and this is during the Christmas season where people are supposed to be fa-la-lying and throwing their cares to the wind. Uh, not a good thing. At the same time, though, if you're the Fed, isn't that what you want? You want to see signs of the economy cooling down and you really want to see signs that uh, Americans are cooling it with the spending? Oh, well, yeah, the Fed is looking to cool the economy, and the Fed's also looking to cool the inflation rate. Um, and it's it's difficult because the Fed has a hard time being a cheerleader for this, since it doesn't want to be seen as uh, cheering too loudly for the unemployment rate to go up. But that's really what it's going to take. And so uh, don't expect anybody at the Fed to, you know, to come out and say what great news this is, because the Fed's going to be very circumspect about this. At the same time, home builder sentiment rising in January for the first time in a year, thanks to the fact that uh, mortgage rates are backing off from their historic highs. Well, yeah, but what we've got is written. It's, it's a one-point tick up. These numbers in the 30s are extremely weak. I think the story here is uh, is not the uptick, but how things remain very weak. And maybe there's some indication here that uh, that the weakness and the pessimism is beginning to consolidate and it isn't unraveling anymore. And that's certainly some good news. But, um, you know, this is this is hardly a rally. Uh, this is like falling from the fifth story window instead of the 12th story window. 
And then going back to the uh, producer price index, because that's uh, kind of a, a precursor to the CPI. Yes, it was a big drop in uh, the price of energy, but uh, it, it just adds more fuel to the fire, as it were, or another uh, just bolsters the case that inflation may have plateaued. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think that uh, inflation has uh, stopped rising for now. And I think there's evidence, uh, particularly, as I said, in the core of uh, CPI, that uh, then inflation is, is plateauing around the 6% mark. But um, the thing is, uh, people want to look at this decline in inflation and they want to extrapolate it and they want to see the Fed reaching its target. But, you know, uh, these declines in energy prices are not going to continue without them. Inflation isn't going to fall very fast or even at all. So, um, and we do have legacy increases in inflation that are going to fall out of the index and that are going to cause inflation to be lower as the year goes on. But um, making real progress on inflation month to month is still going to take some good hard work by the Fed. And I think that people need to have a sober look at inflation rather than this pop the champagne cork because energy inflation is falling idea. Bob Bruska, Chief Economist, Facted Opinion Economics, based in New York. Thanks for joining us. Coming up, the perils of being credit invisible. Investing 60 minutes each weekday for planning for the future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's believed that about 1 in 10 Americans do not have an established credit history, which can prove to be a big problem. Let's learn more from Matt Schultz, Chief Credit Analyst with Lending Tree, based in Austin. Matt, thanks for joining us today. Now that we have the numbers of how many Americans could be considered credit invisible. What are some of the reasons why? Why do people, uh, what, what's kind of the, the, the mindset behind people who, you know, they don't want to have a credit card, they don't take out loans, they don't take out debt, and as a result, have no credit history? Yeah, I mean, some people simply don't want to take on debt. There's a, there's a whole bunch of folks who take a lot of pride in not having any debt and not wanting to have the burden or the lure of that extra spending or being able to kind of spend yourself into debt. But the problem is that that debt is the way that you build credit, and credit is an important step towards building wealth. And credit, uh, basically, is, is credit above and beyond just having a credit score? Yeah, credit um, is about uh, your credit score and your credit report, but it's not just about getting loans necessarily. It impacts your ability to get insurance. It affects your ability to get a job potentially or even a new apartment. So your credit score doesn't always matter, but when it does, it really, really matters. Now, let's say you are someone who is very concerned about getting in over their head, whether it's on credit card debt, mortgage debt, debt of any kind, but you don't want to be credit invisible. What is a way to cautiously uh, dip your toe into that water if you're concerned about doing that? Yeah, there, the good news is that there are plenty of ways to do that. One way that I always recommend is a secured credit card, which acts just like any other credit card, except you put down a small security deposit to establish the credit line on that credit card. And what that does is it basically minimizes the risk for everybody involved. And what you can do is put a small recurring charge like a Netflix or Spotify uh, subscription payment um, 
on that card and have that be basically the only thing on that card and you pay that bill off every month, even maybe through auto pay. And what that does is it keeps the card active, but it means that you aren't, you know, spending like crazy on it. So you're you're just building the habits and building that good credit to help your score for the future. Matt Schultz, Chief Credit Analyst with Lending Tree based in Austin, Texas. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up next, there are concerns about the global oil supply. Discussing the news affecting your money. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The chief of the Saudi oil company Aramco is warning of possible supply issues. Let's check in with Tom Closa, longtime energy analyst with the Oil Price Information Service in Wall, New Jersey. Tom, thanks for joining us today. China has lifted the bulk of its COVID-19 restrictions. And you talk about Americans living up for lost living after uh, just a couple of months of uh, pandemic restrictions. Now you're talking about over a billion people making up for three years of lost living. And that's going to result in a great, a lot of them will be driving and flying places. And that's going to have a big impact on the world oil market. Well, that is the concern. Uh, And, uh, you know, China's reopening could be kind of the second coming of some of the inflation that we saw uh, last year. But I I would hesitate. And, you know, when you quote the Aramco official as warning about a shortage, you know, these are not uh, neutral observers. (laughs) You know, they're predicting what they want to happen to a certain extent. And I would argue that probably for the first quarter of the year, Actual oil supplies are going to be a little bit sloppy in the world. But, you know, the markets are reacting to what they think is going to happen in the last three quarters or the second half of this year. And you're going to see higher gas prices, unfortunately, over the short term. Where does the United States get its oil versus China? Well, we we get most of our oil from North America. Our own production uh, of, you know, about 12 million barrels a day. And then uh, what we get from Canada and Mexico supplements that. We only have a need for about a million or two million barrels a day of non-North American oil. That's one of the reasons why, you know, when they talk about the huge security threat of reducing the strategic petroleum reserve, I say, well, it's a big threat if we go to war with Canada. But if we don't, it's not <laughs> that big of a deal. And then uh, when it comes to uh, uh, you know, the, the price of gas in the United States, I mean, will, will we see this, the wild fluctuations that we saw at the uh, beginning of the war, uh, the Russia's invasion of Ukraine when uh, you had gas prices hitting $5 a gallon and in, some particular, in, in certain parts of the country, 6 or $7 a gallon? Well, I, I think we're going to see some wild prices, but it won't be as wild as last year. I mean, it's going to make, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, Ricky Martin look like uh, uh, Al Gore or something here. So I, I don't think it's going to be as insane because last year the market and the gasoline market really got unmoored from crude. And we got to $5.01, but we didn't spend a lot of time there. And all the banks, you know, they all have their models that say, well, we need it to be to $6.02 in order to really have a demand response. When the reality is people react to gasoline the way I react if the Giants lose this weekend and the Dallas Cowboys win. 
it's going to really annoy the hell out of me, even though it doesn't have any real impact on my well-being. And at the same time, we're getting a better handle on uh, gasoline demand in the U.S., that uh, we've gone from a five-day-a-week commuting country to now a three-day-a-week commuting country. So Absolutely. if the price yeah. of gas is higher, it's not a problem on Monday and Friday. No, I mean, we've changed the model. And we used to use about 390 million gallons of gasoline every day from 2016 through 2019. Now, I don't think everybody's going to be driving electric vehicles in the next year or so, but it is starting to make an intrusion. And the lack of commuting is having a big impact as well. So I don't think, you know, I think the world may not see peak demand for a few more years, but the United States has seen its peak gasoline demand for all time. Tom Close, a longtime energy analyst with the Oil Price Information Service based in Wall, New Jersey. I'm going to leave you with a, a go birds. How does that sound? I say go Giants and make sure the Cowboys lose and then all will be well in the world. Tom Closa, thanks for joining us. Still ahead in Personal Finance Wednesday and helping aging parents manage their money. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Chicago's news traffic and weather station. News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Federal regulators cite Amazon for dangerous working conditions, including at a warehouse in suburban Chicago. A man from Massachusetts now charged with murder in the disappearance of his wife nearly three weeks ago. Personal Finance Wednesday strategies to help aging parents maintain control of their money. And a widely used tool by investors is the price to earnings ratio of stock valuation. Will learn the basics. WBBM business, the markets are lower. The Dow is down 439 points. The Nasdaq is down 101. And the S&P 500 is down 45. It's 1231. Topping our news at the half hour, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration has cited Amazon for failing to keep workers safe. Douglas Parker is the Assistant Secretary of Labor for OSHA. Our investigations determined warehouse workers are required to perform tasks at a fast pace, including manually lifting items from trailers, removing packages from a conveyor and stacking them from floor to ceiling, and other tasks that require workers to work in awkward positions that make them prone to injuries. Three facilities cited include one in Waukegan. Upgraded charges have now been filed against the husband of a Massachusetts woman who has been missing since New Year's Day. After initially being charged with misleading police, Brian Walsh is now being accused of murdering his wife and disinterring a body. Prosecutors say they discovered bags and bags filled with evidence and things belonging to Anna, which included blood and DNA matching both Anna and Brian. Brian is now accused of going online, asking a lot of disturbing questions after his wife was last seen on New Year's Day. He searched how long before a body starts to smell. At 4.58 a.m., 
how to stop a body from decomposing. James Rojas for CBS News, Boston. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are in the red. We're joined by Vahan Janjigian, Chief Investment Officer at Greenwich Wealth Management based in Greenwich, Connecticut. It seems like the markets are giving back uh, several days' worth of gains. What's driving today's sell-off? Yeah, you know, that's interesting. Well, first of all, as you said, we've had a uh, very strong start to the year, so uh, no doubt there is some uh, profit-taking going on. Um, And this morning, we did get off to a very strong start as the PPI numbers came in um, lower than expected, indicating that inflation is really coming down. So that all looked looked good. But uh, then we got some other numbers that were a little bit concerning, particularly those retail sale numbers. They were uh, much worse than expected. looks like the holiday sales were not as strong as, uh, as we had hoped. Um, and then there were a couple of um, Fed presidents that made some uh, remarks about uh, how the Fed needs to remain aggressive. And uh, right now, everybody is expecting a 25 basis points increase on February 1st. And one of them hinted that it might actually be uh, more than that. So uh, I think it's all this that's giving uh, investors some concern, making them nervous and deciding uh, to take some of the profits that they've seen in the first few days of this year. And then when we look at uh, the the PPI report for the month of December, obviously, if you just look at the headline number, uh, it's it's undoubtedly good news whenever you beat expectations. But as you said, uh, investors are looking at the it's entirely driven by uh, cheap cheaper energy uh, that appears to be on the upswing so far in the month of January. But is it safe to say that inflation has already peaked and may be on the downswing or the beginning of going on the downswing? Uh, I think it's a, it's very safe to say that. In fact, uh, I don't think we have um, you know inflation anymore. We have what's known as disinflation, which means that um, inflation is increasing at a uh, decreasing rate. So inflation is definitely coming down. There's a lot of evidence uh, of that. If you look at the CPI numbers, for example, we see that they've peaked uh, several months ago. And I think it's uh, wrong for the Fed to focus on the year-over-year increases. I think they should pay much more attention to the month-over-month changes. And if you uh, if you annualize uh, those CPI numbers month-over-month, you see that inflation is actually running at below um, 3%. And, uh, you know, the Fed says it has a uh, 2% target, so it looks like we're you know, almost there. And in my opinion, there is absolutely no need for the Fed to raise rates any further. I would agree, however, that they should keep rates at current levels for for a while um, because there is a lag in monetary policy. So um, we will see these effects taking place. But I don't think there's any need for the Fed to raise rates. Uh, I don't think they should be thinking about lowering rates yet. Let's just keep them where they are and see how the economy reacts. And second, if you're looking at the uh, consumer spending or retail sales for the month of December, it's weaker than expected. If you're the Fed, isn't that what you want? Yes, exactly. Well, the Fed is trying to orchestrate what they call a soft landing. In other words, they're trying to slow the economy without actually causing a recession. And the, the evidence so far indicates that they're actually succeeding in doing that. So, you know, they do deserve a slap on the back uh, for a job well done. But, um, yes, you know, uh, you do want to see uh, that happening, um, and it looks like it is happening. 
And then anything coming out uh, in the earnings reports that uh, suggest uh, there is trouble ahead or there was trouble behind for the economy? Because it seems like, especially in the airline sector, uh, things are looking up, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah, well, ab- absolutely. Um, the earnings reports are, are key. They're very important. We're just now starting to get into the thick of earnings season. So uh, they will definitely have an impact on the market, and we will see more volatility. Uh, you mentioned the airlines. We also saw a lot of uh, results from the banking industry. Uh, some banks actually uh, reported pretty good results. Uh, some, like Goldman Sachs, uh, did not. So uh, it was very mixed there. So it remains to see uh, how these earnings come in. The key ones, of course, will be the technology companies because they are the largest cap stocks in the market, and they're the ones that drive the indexes. Vahan Jenjigian, Chief Investment Officer at Greenwich Wealth Management in Greenwich, Connecticut. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up next in Personal Finance Wednesday, helping aging parents manage their money. It's the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Personal Finance Wednesday, and today the focus is on helping aging parents manage their money. Let's get insight from Craig Bolanos, founding partner and chief executive officer of the Wealth Management Group in Inverness and Downers Grove. Craig, thanks for joining us today. And this can be an emotionally sticky situation, not only between children and their parents, but also between siblings and each other when we talk about the control of the assets of an aging parent. Uh, where do you begin? Uh, how do you start to broach this very sensitive conversation? The emotional dynamics of money are so incredibly complex, and I just want to make sure everyone knows you start early. And the softest, easiest way for families to have these conversations is to be respectful and ask mom, ask dad, whomever that parent might be, who do you want to help you with your finances if you ever become sick or injured? And that leads into the discussion over powers of attorney, ultimately who's the executor, who's the trustee. And once we have that conversation, then we can eventually look for signs where we can help make gradual improvements. Is this an area in which the parent uh, can put this in their will or their end of life plan? They can already uh, put this in writing. Well, I think something that's non-negotiable, and I want to emphasize this, Rob, is if you have people that you love, and they love you back, everybody, whether it's you, the child, the adult child, whether it's the parents, everybody should have a fully functioning estate plan. And a huge part of that estate plan is not the will, it's not the trust, it's having good, durable powers of attorney in force so that if we are sick, injured, or encumbered, somebody we know and trust can step into our shoes on a temporary basis and help us, whether it's paying bills, managing accounts, filing tax returns. So powers of attorney are an absolute must. Now, let's say we've had this conversation. Everybody is okay with it. Everybody is on the same page. It is in writing. Then how do you, as the offspring, uh, ease into that role? Or do you just take it over entirely? Oh, you never take it over entirely unless there's a crisis situation. I believe everything gradual and incremental is the way to go. So here's what we suggest at the Wealth Management Group. Number one, when it comes to bill pay, just start paying the bills together. When it comes to looking at financial statements, 
open those financial statements together, not every month, but once a quarter. And then the next step is simplifying the bill pay. Rob, there's a lot of people that still don't use direct deposit. Might sound unbelievable, but there's a lot of people that don't. So let's set up direct deposit. Then when the time is right, move to automating the bill pay. There's always going to be checks that need to be written, but to the extent that we can streamline that, I think it's effective. And it's also uh, if you're working side by side with your aging parent and you know when the bills are paid, what bills are being paid, you can spot the red flags almost immediately if they're uh, paying for something outside their means, outside of their area of interest, or if if they've possibly fallen victim to a scam. Well, that's just it. And when someone says, you know, what's the red flags? Rob, I think we've talked about this on the Noon Business Hour before. It's when you see far too much open mail. A red flag is when you consistently and constantly hear complaints about money. And then you just nailed it again. It's when you see unusual purchases or sometimes today it's unusually large donations. When those things accrue, I think it's time to just gently insert and have the conversation. And Craig, this is another area in which uh, being a financial advisor also means you're a very good psychologist because it's much better to have the difficult conversation now than to find yourself in an impossible situation at some point down the road. And I would like to just piggyback on something you said. If having the conversations, the art of dialogue, talking about money with an aging parent, especially for those parents that are a part of the quiet generation, not necessarily the baby boomers, but the quiet generation, sometimes you need to bring in a third-party advocate because if the suggestion comes from a third party, a financial advisor, mom and dad, believe it or not, might be willing a little bit more to listen and move the needle incrementally to allow an adult child to start taking on a supervisory or a joint role. Craig Bolanos, founding partner and chief executive officer of the Wealth Management Group in Inverness and Downers Grove. Thanks for joining us today. Join us at this time tomorrow for Technology Thursday and still to come, uh, a 101 on the use of price-to-earnings ratio when investing. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Earlier this week, we had a conversation with financial planner about how the lingo of investing can be a barrier to actually jumping into it. So let's talk about some of the uh, words that invest use, and maybe we can uh, demystify some of the process for you. Let's start with the price-to-earnings ratio, a.k.a. P.E. It's one of the most widely used tools by investors when determining a stock's relative valuation. Joining us now with uh, the basics is Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com, based in Washington. Mark, thanks for joining us today, and if uh, you listen to the show and you hear our analysts talking about a, a P.E. ratio, the price to earnings ratio. What is it and how does it work for the uninitiated? Well, I'll try to explain it. Unfortunately, I'm not going to demystify it because it turns out the more you look into it, I'm afraid you get more confused rather than less so. It turns out that uh, you can almost come up with any P.E. ratio you want. You can make a stock look undervalued or overvalued depending on which version of it you look. So I need to give a warning in advance as we go through it. Basically, what it is, is the ratio is the ratio of the price of a stock to the earnings per share of the company. You'd think that's straightforward enough. Unfortunately, though the price is always set, you know what the price of the stock is, you can use any of a number of different estimates of earnings, the denominator of that ratio. And of course, that can really have huge impact on the overall ratio. 
in a recent column, I looked at the P.E. ratio for the Russell 2000. That's one of the standard indices for the small cap sector of the market. It turns out that one of the major providers, I'm not going to use their name, on the web says that uh, the Russell 2000's P.E. right now is around 13. And another says it's uh, it's over 60. So you have a ratio there of one's five times as much as the other, even though they're both purportedly reporting the same thing. Now, how many situations, uh, there are probably just thousands and thousands of them, you know, where, where, where generally does a stock's price line up with its P.E. ratio? Where are, are there certain situations where it can be out of whack, either overvalued or undervalued? Well, that's a good question. I think as a general rule, one would have to say that a higher P.E. suggests a more overvalued stock. If you look at averages over long periods of time, the P.E. ratio for the market is between 15 and 20. Uh, That's the average. It'll be sometimes much higher than that or much lower. So if you have a P.E. ratio that's a lot higher than that, that suggests that uh, the stock is particularly popular. It's a fad stock. And that uh, suggests it's very overvalued, whereas if you have a P.E. ratio well below it, it suggests other things being equal, that it's probably undervalued. The problem is that uh, you can look at, as I said earlier, different estimates of what earnings are. One of the biggest ways in which you can have that flexibility in the definition is that some people define the P.E. ratio by looking at earnings over the last 12 months. So they're looking at, okay, over the last year, how has the company earned? Others will look at projected and estimated earnings for the next 12 months. Well, as you can imagine, some companies have done a lot worse over the last year than they expect to over the coming year. And depending on which one of those estimates you look at, you're going to come up with a far different P.E. ratio. Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for The Wall Street Journal, Barron's MarketWatch.com. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. If you missed any part of today's Noon Business Hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.